remember two ugly folks find love in the countryside of northern England. One dowdy damsel soon finds that her lackluster love is a liar. They are getting married, but will they get married? Is it going to work out? Will they find love? Who knows? This is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, so it's sure to be depressing. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! This is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Alexis, are you excited to get into part two of Jane Eyre this week? Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to bring it to a nice little conclusion. You know, sometimes Um, reading books with uh, strong characters like this, the characters stay with you and you think about them throughout your day. When you're reading the book, did you feel that with Jane Eyre and Fairfax and Rochester? Yep, I sure did. No, I wanted to stay and I wanted to hear the end of the story. Mm -hmm. What appeals to me the most in this book is the dialogue, the back and forth. It's very good. I won't say the book is well written yet. We'll get into that in our final verdict. Um, But there's some back and forth, especially between the love interests. uh, That is very interesting to me, intriguing to me. And because they're unattractive, you know it's real love. So, uh, all right. Sure. Okay. That, that seems to be the direction Charlotte wants us to go in. And if you're wondering if ugly people are uh, better at relationships, please listen to part one of Jane Eyre, where that is our theme of the week. And we even bring science into it. <laughs> so without further ado, we're going to skip all our usual parts because this is a part two of our uh, Jane Eyre episode. And we're going to dive right into the plot of this book. The end. The conclusion. Please, Alexis, take us away. What happens in Jane Eyre, part two? Okay, so where we left off last time, Rochester was to marry Jane. So we're picking up on the wedding day. So part one, the wedding. The next day, Rochester is eager to marry his little elf. So is that what he calls the her? Church they go, yep. Okay. When they arrive at the church, Jane notices like two men standing off to the side. Rochester doesn't notice them, though. However, Jane sees them also enter the church. Maybe they just want to be observers. The ceremony begins and the clergyman asks, do either of you know any impediment to why ye may not lawfully be joined together in matrimony? Ye do now confess it. And of course, the natural pause. And then he continues, wilt thou have this woman for thy wedded wife? Then someone says, this marriage cannot go on. I <gasps> declare the existence of an impediment. Have you ever been at a wedding where someone stood up and protested? Absolutely not. Uh, Have okay. you? Um, they protested before the wedding and it was the groom. I don't understand people <laughs> waiting to the day of the wedding to say they don't want to be married. That's always. That's who shows. That, Something ain't right. Did the groom protest? In, he protested like, not by showing not showing up. up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Class act. But that ain't what Mr. Rochester did. Please continue. Um, Rochester is like proceed clergy person. Yeah. The clergyman said, you know, I, I can't go on without an investigation. So it's Rochester's like, prove it then, man. Prove it. Yeah. What's the, the cause of complaint? And you better have Mr. Proof. Biggs. Yes. The man is Mr. Biggs. He's a solicitor. He reads from an official That document. means he's a barista. I mean, a lawyer. An attorney, yes. He reads from an official document saying, 
Edward Fairfax Rochester married Bertha Antoinetta Mason 15 years ago. And it was signed by who? Mr. Mason. Y'all remember Mr. Mason? Oh, yeah. The one he the tried one to kill. The one that was bitten and stabbed. Yes. And Roger Tozer sitting in silence with him while he fetched the surgeon. It's signed by him. His name is Richard Mason. Wait, so did Mr. Rochester stab Mr. Mason? No. He went to go get the surgeon. Somebody else stabbed Mr. Mason. Okay, just, just clearing that up. Okay, I didn't know. Okay. Mr. Mason is this Bertha brother. Bertha's brother that's mentioned in the notice. And as Mr. Mason approached to confirm that Bertha is living and he saw her last April, Rochester raises his hand as if he about to punch him, knock you out. Don't you be telling my new wife about my current (laughs) wife. (laughs) Rochester is hot, let me tell you. Of course, now the wedding is off. And the clergyman is like, well, we never heard of a Mrs. Rochester. I don't know what you're talking about. That can't be true. So Rochester says, listen, I admit it. I meant to be a bigamist. I meant to be a bigamist. But Providence has obviously checked me. It's all true. You never heard of her because I keep her in the house. But I'm sure you've heard the gossip about the mysterious lunatic. Some think it's a bastard half sister. Others say it's my cast off mistress. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so this whole time weird stuff has been happening in the house. Uh, Mr. Mason was obviously stabbed almost nearly to death. Um, Mr. Rochester's bed was set on fire by someone. Jane Eyre, her veil was torn in half and she feels like someone was standing over her ominously. And so it's, the house is weird and we're finding out why. Yes. In this scene. As they stand before the three men, Rochester tells them his story. And then he says, my wife comes from generations of madness. Her mother was a drunk woman and a mad woman. So let me take you to her, this wife of mine. So he takes them to Thorn- Thornfield Hall. That's the home. Grabs Jane by the hand, kind of like dragging her along. And when they arrive at the location, where Bertha is kept, they meet Grace Poole. Now we know Grace Poole is not the one causing all this havoc. Grace Poole, however, is a drunk. She does like her little um, Jen. Um, and as they're going towards this room, they hear a cry. And <laughs> <laughs> Bertha ran at Rochester as they walk into this room where she's being kept and she's biting his face. Mm-hmm. He then wrestles her out, ties her to a chair and says, this is my wife. Okay. This is who y'all talking about. So wait, does Grace care for Bertha? Yeah. She's oh, her okay. caretaker. Because Grace is a little crazy, too. So that's interesting. Well, Grace is just an alcoholic. She's not crazy. Oh. She's just an alcoholic. Oh, is that all? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Right. So Rochester then tells the three men and Jane to leave so he can lock up his wife. Well, as they leave the room, Mr. Briggs tells Jane she is cleared from any blame and that her uncle should be glad to hear of it. 
My uncle, what does he have to do with it? How do you know him? Mr. Mason says he knows her uncle. He does. And his uncle received her letter. Remember she sent that letter so she could have her own money? <laughs> yeah, and the letter she said she was marrying Rochester. So the uncle knew the name Rochester because he was friends with uh, Mr. Mason. And so he's like, you know this Rochester fellow that's marrying my niece that I never met before? Yes, tell me about him. So he tells him, he can't marry her. He married to my sister. So although the uncle is on his deathbed, he sends Mr. Mason and the solicitor to England to take care of and make sure the wedding doesn't go through because of the wife. So his uncle looking out for his niece in this way. Mm-hmm. So, um... The uncle is getting sickly and, in fact, maybe dead. Otherwise, they would. Um, Mr. Briggs would say he would take Jane back with him. So Jane goes to her room and she's like, let me just think about my life. How in the world did I get here? <laughs> she knew she couldn't stay at Thornfield <laughs> Hall anymore. Um, she felt that after all that Rochester couldn't really have real affection for her. It's just not possible. Yeah, he How didn't tell he me about his wife. To marry him. Um, marry him when he knows he's married to somebody else mm-hmm. um he just it's just not right and so jane is weak she's tired she doesn't even shed any tears she just she just like it's crazy she prayed for strength to leave jane remembers that she hasn't eaten and as no one has come to check on her not adele not mrs fairfax not even rochester and as she leaves her room she stumbles over an obstacle who is it it was Mr. Rochester. He was sitting in a chair in front of her door. He was waiting for her. He hadn't heard any movement for her, no sobbing. He was prepared to force the lock if she hadn't stirred. Rochester told Jane he had never meant to wound her. If a man who had but a one little ewe lamb that was dear to him as a daughter and by mistake slaughtered it, he would not have rued his bloody blunder more than I rue mine. Will you ever forgive me? Now, Jane doesn't tell him she forgives him, but she forgives him in her heart at that moment. Rochester then pleads his case to Jane and begs her to hear the story of his marriage to Bertha. He sits to tell his story and Jane's tears flow like open floodgates. Jane tells him she could not um, compose herself while he is in such a passion. He tells Jane he's not angry with her. He loves her. But Jane won't let him comfort her or touch her. He said, oh, you don't love me? He tried to kiss her and she moved. And he's like, what's the? Oh, yeah, because of my wife. <laughs> he was like, was it because of my station and the rank of being my wife that you value? Jane is like, I love him, but that that's just dumb. I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to twist this. it. He's like, yeah. you only wanted me because I was single. Now that I got a wife, you don't love me no more. You see? That's wrong. Rochester tells Jane of his elder brother and his father. He did his father didn't want to divide his property between his sons. So he gave all to one and made arrangements for his other son to marry wealthy. His marriage to Bertha was essentially arranged, he said, because this is Bertha was this, the boast of the Spanish town in the West Indies because of her beauty and her family wished to secure somebody of a good race and that was rochester and so he it was after he married that he learned she was insane 
Well, Jane being so, it was his resolution to keep the property together. He could not bear the idea of dividing his estate and leaving me a fair portion. All he resolved should go to my brother, Roland. Yet, as little could he endure that a son of his should be a poor man. I must be provided for by a wealthy marriage. He sought me a partner betimes. Mr. Mason, a West India planter and merchant, was his old acquaintance. He was certain his possessions were real and valuable. Fast. He made inquiries. Mr. Mason, he found, had a son and daughter, and he learned from him that he could and would give the latter a fortune of 30,000 pounds. That sufficed. When I left college, I was sent out to Jamaica to espouse a bride already courted for me. My father said nothing about her money, but he told me Miss Mason was the boast of Spanish town for her beauty. And this was no lie. I found her a fine woman in the style of Blanche Ingram, tall, dark, and majestic. Her family wished to secure me because I was of good race, and so did she. They showed her to me in parties, splendidly dressed. I seldom saw her alone and had very little private conversation with her. She flattered me and lavishly displayed for my pleasure her charms and accomplishments. All the men in her circle seemed to admire her and envy me. I was dazzled, stimulated. My senses were excited and being ignorant, raw and inexperienced, I thought I loved her. There was no folly so besotted that the idiotic rivalries of society, the prurience, the rashness, the blindness of youth will not hurry a man to its commission. Her relatives encouraged me. Competitors piqued me. She allured me. Marriage was achieved almost before I knew where I was. Oh, I have no respect for myself when I think of that act. An agony of inward contempt masters me. I never loved. I never esteemed. I did not even know her. Yeah, so are you feeling for him in this situation? He married a woman because his father and his brother hooked up the match for money. It don't sound like he gave the money back. He definitely kept the money. And he then, was still married to her. And then he locked her up in the attic because she crazy. She was protecting her. He got her somebody to take care of him. So, no, I didn't feel sad for him, but I was, like, sad that he had to be tricked into that marriage. Whatever. Or he married her, and, you know, I'm always on the woman's side. So You I, always are. You yes. know I'm always on the man's side. Uh, mm-hmm, and it's a problem. <laughs> so he probably drove her crazy. You know how men will do that to you? He done drove her crazy, locked her in the attic, and trying to marry the governess. No. Come on now, this is scandalous. Listen, Listen, what kind of of life is this? Mr. Rochester is a liar full stop. They have, the woman has a mental illness in her family. A lot of people, did he not marry her for sickness, through sickness and health? This is a sickness. This is a hereditary sickness. Take care of that lady. That's your wife. Don't be locking her in the attic just because she's trying to light you on fire. What, What did you do? Why is she trying to light you on fire all the time? But if he had known... She had mental illness. She he would not have chosen her. That's why he should have dated her instead of just marrying her for her money right quick. So That's what he, he did. He did got everything know, he deserved. She was put before him and presented <laughs> as a beautiful plate of food. He didn't. They were never alone together. Right. They were never alone together. Whatever. So he didn't have a chance to get to know her intimately. And he does admit he was um, wooed by her beauty. And uh-huh. does he? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. he and money. Mm-hmm. Not money because he didn't know about the money. 
He, he knew about know. the money. That was the point of the match. He he was not told about the money until after they married. He That's even know. worse. <laughs> so, so he, he truly married her because she was gorgeous. Because she was beautiful. And then she ended up also now insane. How? How, now, how often does that happen today? Regularly, right? Yep, and I don't have pity for none of them people either. <laughs> if you marry somebody that was suffering but, from mental health issues and you marry them because they was beautiful, that's on you. <laughs> that's on you. We all crazy. Next. This is this is true. <laughs> but he did not know. Today, Mr. People, go home to your wife. Take her people, out the attic. Stop being that way. People today have time to get to know so and so and such and such. Know they have mental illness and then stay still. She fine, so I'm gonna marry her anyway because I'm gonna have a beautiful person on my shoulder. So, so wow, shocking. Mm. I'm just saying. Okay, well, she yeah, okay. <laughs> so right, so yeah, I don't feel. Go ahead. I don't feel for him. And I feel like he's gotten to know Jane and they weren't alone that much. They did have some few. They did have a few moments of private conversation and he fell compare. in love with her. It does Whatever. not compare. He was never alone with her. She was presented to him as a prop. Girl, go ahead with the story. <laughs> so Rochester feels that hearing this story, Jane would have mercy on him and still want to stay with him, even though he's married. As a mistress, as a mistress. Jane said, it doesn't matter that there is no one in the world that cares for me who would be injured by what I do. I care for myself. I love that line. I love that line. The more friendless, the more unsustained I am, the more I will respect myself. And he didn't respect Jane. Okay, you got this quote unquote sob story, according to Alexis, but you didn't disclose to her so she could make the choice to be in this relationship with you knowing all the facts. You tried to trick her. Get out of here. And then you acted wounded. Like, how come no one feels sorry for me? Because you a liar. (laughs) You a liar. So Jane prays for strength to leave and steals away before the dawn breaks. She took very little, and ends up hitching a ride with all the money she had, which is 20 shillings, to a town where Rochester, she assumes, has no connections. Part two, Whitcross. Two days later in the evening, she arrives in a place called Whitcross. She left her parcel in the coach and is now absolutely destitute. Whitcross was not a town, but more like a crossroad. The nearest town was 10 miles, the furthest 20 miles away. As she walks along, she eats the last of the bread with some bilberries she saw on a tree. Guess they're growing everywhere. The next day, she then finds a spot to sleep in for the night, wishing she'd die in her sleep. She arrives in town the next day at two o'clock in the afternoon. She is starving. She sees a store with a bread in the window and decides to go in to offer her silk handkerchief. That's about all she has. Maybe a silk handkerchief and some gloves. And hopefully she can offer that for a roll. When she gets there, the store uh, into the store, she immediately changes her mind. She was like, "Ooh, that is beneath me. I will not be doing that. Um, 
Let me just ask for a job. I can do that. So she asked the clerk for a job and the woman provides her with some information, but she's not very compassionate. And Jane is like, I get it. Nobody. I don't know anybody. And it's weird seeing me come into their stuff in a store. Like, can I have a, um, information? Who would do it? I have no connections. It doesn't make sense. Other customers come in. Jane leaves the store. She walks around some more. She finds a house and she asks the servant at the house if they were looking for any more servants and where she could find employment. They're like, not much here. Nothing I can do. She then sees a church. She goes to the church, hoping she can receive assistance from the clergyman. Um, But the clergyman isn't there because he's been called away by the sudden death of his father. Disappointment, she goes back to the bakery. This time, she's going to offer that scarf. She's a little too hungry to be proud. The woman's like, no, what am I going to do with your gloves? What am I going to do with your scarf? Get out of here. So she's like, "Um, all right, I'm still hungry, though. (laughs) So she walks along, and she passes a farmhouse, and she sees a man, um, a farmer, eating a slice of cheese with bread. And she was like, oh, please, can I have some of that? Please, please. And he is, has mercy on her. He cuts a thick slice, give her the bread, and she goes over in the corner by a bush or somewhere and goes to sleep. Again, Jane wants, wishes death. And she's doing all this suffering because of her principles. She could mm-hmm. go back to Mr. Rochester, but she won't be made a fool of by no man. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. The next day, um, she sees a little girl throw out a mess of porridge um, in a pig trough. She's getting ready to. And so Jane's like, I'm hungry. I need that. So she goes to the girl and asks for it. And the girl gives it to her. So Jane is eating porridge that was about to get thrown to the pig. So it's raining all day. This day is probably worse than all the other days because it is raining. She's even more hungry. She don't know where she's going. And she's just wandering, looking for help. And nobody's mm-hmm. helping her. But why would they help her? They don't know her. She could just be a vagrant and a beggar. And nobody wants to help them. She sees a cottage in a distance and gathers her strength to walk towards it. She sees two young ladies and an elderly woman. And she, she's like, oh, they look happy and friendly. I just, I got to talk to them. She watched these ladies for so long. She forgot she was in this position, you know, wretched and whatnot. She yeah, she finally, thought she was watching TV. <laughs> yeah, she finally <laughs> goes to the door and the servant answers. And the servant said, what you want? Ugh. You look rough. In <laughs> fact, get away from us. She asked to speak to the mistresses, the ladies in the house. And the woman, her name is Hannah. She's like, get out. You look like you up to no good. Just get away. We don't want it. And in fact, tell your friends who waiting to rob us. We got guns. We got a man <laughs> in the house. And we will do you dirty if you come for us. I like Hannah. That's how she did it. So she thought. <laughs> So Jane is like, oh, my God, I cannot do this another day. And so she kind of sits on a stoop, feeling all defeated, not sure if she can go home. It's raining. She's wet. She's starving. Jane has reached her climax. And she's like, she says to herself out loud, I could die. Yes, but I believe in God. Let me wait on him in silence. But she hears a voice and it says, All men must die, but all are not condemned to meet a lingering and premature death. That person knocks on the door and Hannah is shocked to see Jane still there. She's like, what are you doing here? Get out of here, you little beggar. 
And the voice is that of St. John. St. John. Now, listen, I was listening to the audio recording of this, uh-huh. and I thought his name was Sinjin. <laughs> yeah, it was St. John. It's St. John. <laughs> okay. His name is not Sinjin. Okay? okay. That's what they say on the recording. His name is St. John. Okay. He okay. is the brother of the ladies in the house. He allows Jane to come into the house and be cared for. And when they ask Jane her story, she says, listen, I'm going to tell you my name is Jane Elliott right now, but I need some rest. So can I get one of them rooms and like a piece of more so to eat? And I ain't um, got no money, so don't ask. <laughs> I need to go to bed first. So yeah, we could talk about this tomorrow. I'm not filling up to it. So Jane is able to rest for like the next three days. She's like, whew. I am tired. She's well taken care of by this family. And when she's uh, well enough to not rise, um, she gets up. The family has come in. um, Even the brother has come in and checked on her. But the sisters mostly check on her. And while she's laying there, you know, Jane is in and out of consciousness. She's asleep. She's exhausted. You know, she's got this time. They even come in and they're like, she is ugly. They like brother. talking over her as she's sleeping. Mm-hmm. And the brother was like, "She well, she is. She's pretty ugly." So <laughs> it's just real. Like it's just regular to be calling people ugly. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Anyway, so when she gets well and better, first thing Jane, it it happens to be when nobody is at home at the moment. But Jane gets up. The first thing she do, she charging up Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> she got her energy back and she was mm-hmm. like, Hannah, you was treating me real rude and stuff. What's that about? Right. And Hannah was like, you was looking bad. I had no choice. I thought you was going to steal stuff. And she said, you must got me confused with your mama. <laughs> <laughs> and Jane learns that. Uh, so she also gets some family details while she's talking to Hannah and they kind of making up. Jane learns that the Rivers family includes St. John and his sisters, Diana and Mary. St. John is a person that runs the church the church that Jane actually stopped by where she was looking for help. The family has been in the area a very long time. Diana and Mary are governesses and um, they're only home because of their father's death. Um, Mr. St. John, the father lost his money many years ago, which is why the girls have to work. Um, The loss of money led to his um, bankruptcy. Jane tells um, when they eventually the family comes back. She then tells them a little bit more of her story. She tells them um, her story, including that she went to Lowood and that she worked as a governess, but she won't tell them who she worked as a governess for. She's not going to tell them her name. She acknowledges that her name is a alias because John is pushing her to tell more. Um, but and she's like, I'm not going to tell you more, but I'll tell you everything I told you was a lie. Do y'all have any not food? everything <laughs> I told you. Just her name is a lie. Jane is not a liar. And a lie by omission. Go ahead. <sighs> Jane says she just wants to work and take care of herself. Do you all know about any work? So they go about getting to know each other over the next few days. Jane is really enjoying the company of these two sisters, Diana and Mary. Even a brother sometimes. He's okay. Um... You know, they're talking and Jane is getting better. And the brother, St. John, the clerk, um, the church man, he is supposed to um, find her some work. So before the ladies return back to their governess assignment, they learn that their uncle dies. Their father had hoped this uncle would leave them money since it was on that uncle's advice. 
that their father lost his own money. But instead, the uncle leaves it to another relative. So this means they're going to have to continue to work, whereas they were really hoping that they would get this inheritance. The ladies they're, like return- not de- they're not destroyed about it, though. They're like, no. it is what it is. Yeah. The ladies return to their assignment, and Jane goes to work at a school that St. John started for the local children. Um, and John returns to the church. One day, as St. John is visiting, um, he notices, he's visiting Jane, and he notices on a piece of paper, because she's painting, she's drawing. Now, mind you, there are other um, side stories in here about St. John that I'm not going to talk about, but Kari, if you feel like you want to introduce that, you're welcome to do so. Okay. Um, Well, it's Victorian-era literature, and they're cousins, so you already know where this is going. Oh, I done told the story. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. My bad. Let me just shut up. So um, he notices um, something on a piece of paper that Jane is using as scratch paper, and he takes it and he leaves hurriedly. So they were in a conversation. Jane is draw working on a, a drawing that she's doing, and he sees something scribbled on the paper, and he runs out. The next day, St. John stops by Jane again, and he tells Jane the story. He said, 20 years ago, a poor curate and the daughter of a rich man fall in love. Against the advice of her friends, the daughter marries the curate. The family disowns her, and two years later, both of the the parents die. The people die. Um, Their grave is actually at the church. They left a daughter who was taken to a rich maternal relation and was reared by an aunt-in-law. Guess what her name is? Reed. Right. Mrs. Reed. Mrs. Reed of Gateswood. Mrs. Reed kept the orphan from 10 years, um, 10 years till she was 10. Then sent her to Lowood School. She eventually becomes a teacher there and is later left, later leaves the school to become a governess for a man named who? Mr. Rochester. Yeah. At this point, St. John is like, listen, I can guess how you might feel, but let me finish telling my story. And meanwhile, Jane is like strumming my pain with his fingers. (laughs) So she was my life. Go ahead. Wow. Okay. Sure. (laughs) So she was. um, This person was to marry Mr. Rochester, but it turns out Mr. Rochester was already married. Mr. Briggs. Insert Mr. Briggs. Y'all remember him? He's the solicitor to the uncle. Stop saying solicitor. This is America. He's a lawyer. Or barista. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Briggs <laughs> sends a letter to Mr. Rochester seeking the woman. Um, but the woman had left Thornfield and they couldn't find her. Jane interrupts and she's like, but what about Mr. Rochester? Is he okay? And St. John tells her, the letter is not about Mr. Rochester. I don't know anything about what's going on with him. All I know is he's a scoundrel because he tried to marry this young lady and he was already married. The requests about the young lady were responded to by Alice Fairfax. St. John tells Jane she's worried about the wrong thing. He told Jane she should be asking who the governess is. Jane's like, I know who it is. It's me. Shoot. <laughs> he then pulls Surprise, out. Mm-hmm. He then pulls out this piece of paper that he took from Jane yesterday, and it had Jane Eyre scribbled on it. 
Jane confirms that that is indeed her name. Jane finally asks, what did Mr. Briggs want? St. John tells her he wanted to tell you that your uncle, Mr. Heir of Madeira, is dead and he left you all his property. You are his heiress and have come to earn, uh, come into 20,000 pounds. Shocked, of course. You know, Jane didn't expect any money at this large sum. Mm Mm-hmm. At the same time, she's a little glad. James wonders how Mr. Biggs came to write to St. John. That's weird. Well, he tells her it's common to write church, um, write the clergy when you're looking for people. You know, they usually can get the word about fine people. Jane's not satisfied with the answer and demands to know how St. John tells Jane. Um, ha- demands to find out how he knew. St. John's like, ah, let my sisters tell you. I, I don't want to tell you let them tell you she's like no tell me now st john tells jane his name his given name is st john air rivers (gasps) right (laughs) her father and his mother were brother and sister so they cousins they are first cousins yes and jane is very happy So they definitely going to find love in each other's (laughs) arms. (laughs) And Jane is very happy to have, to know she has family. She's been orphaned. She's been mistreated. She has no real familial um, connection. So this makes Jane, she's more happy to know that she's related to these people, the rivers, than about the money. Jane decides 20,000 pounds is too much for one person. And she informs Mr. Briggs after, you know, much of an exchange between the people that she wants to split the money with her cousins. Jane crazy. Get 5,000 pounds each. She was like, anything over 5,000 pounds is in excess and I don't need it. And they're poor. They're they're struggling. And if they don't get money, then um, St. John, the brother, is going to have to go work far away and they may never see him again. And they're very close siblings. Um, So she's like, if I gave you 5,000 pounds, which in itself is a fortune, and gave it to each of you and kept 5,000 for myself, we could all be straight. And in turn, I get a family. Like, I'm just happy to have people. I've never had my own people that loved me. And I wanted y'all to be my family before I knew who you were. So we're talking a lot about her interchange with the brother, but she's with the sisters every day and they get along really well. The three of them, the two sisters Mm -hmm. and Jane, and she really loves them in her heart. So to find out they're her first cousins just adds a cherry on top of that. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I really, really love y'all. And I want y'all to have some of this money. Right. Right. Having divvied up the money and feeling good that she has relations, um, familiar relations Jane continues to think about Mr. Rochester and she wants to find him like where is my love Mm -hmm. she returns to Thornfield and finds it's been burned to the ground desperate to find out if Mr. Rochester is dead or alive dead or alive she goes to an inn and asks around and (laughs) and somebody else tells her her life story (laughs) <laughs> yeah they they like I know all about Mr. Rochester because he had tried to marry somebody even though his ugly crazy wife was live oh beautiful crazy wife was living in the attic <laughs> <laughs> and so 
She asks around and learns that Thornfield Hall was set ablaze by Mrs. Rochester, his crazed wife that he kept in the attic. She jumps to her death and during, during this fire, and Mr. Rochester saves everybody in the house. And in that process of saving everybody, he survives, but he loses an eye. He's blinded in the other, and he has his hand amputated. So he's a blind and cripple. Shane mm-hmm. is like, take me to my man. <laughs> is this you? <laughs> I'm gonna stick with him. Gonna <laughs> Look at it. Look him. at the screen. I'ma stick beside him. You gonna I'm gonna stick beside him. I'ma stick beside him. Okay, he blind, he missing the arm. I'ma stick beside him. I'ma stick That's beside him. Mm-hmm. I'ma stick behind him, beside him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When Jane presents herself to Mr. Rochester, his happiness is restored. They express their love for one another and they marry. I am no better than the old lightning-struck chestnut tree in Thornfield Orchard, he remarked ere long. What right would that ruin have to bid a budding woodbine cover its decay with freshness? You are no ruin, sir, no lightning-struck tree. You are green and vigorous. Plants will grow about your roots whether you ask them or not, because they take delight in your bountiful shadow. And as they grow, they will lean toward you and wind round you because your strength offers them so safe a prop. Again, he smiled. I gave him comfort. You speak of friends, Jane, he asked. Yes, of friends. I answered rather hesitatingly, for I knew I meant more than friends, but could not tell what other word to employ. He helped me. Ah, Jane, but I want a wife. Do you, sir? Yes. Is it news to you? Of course. You said nothing about it before. Is it unwelcome news? That depends on circumstances, sir, on your choice, which you shall make for me, Jane. I will abide by your decision. Choose then, sir, her who loves you best. I will at least choose her I love best, Jane. Will you marry me? Yes, sir. A poor blind man who you will have to lead about by the hand? Yes, sir. A crippled man 20 years older than you, whom you will have to wait on? Yes, sir, truly, truly, Jane, most truly, sir. Oh, my darling, God bless you and reward you. Mr. Rochester, if ever I did a good deed in my life, if ever I thought a good thought, if ever I prayed a sincere and blameless prayer, if ever I wished a righteous wish, I am rewarded now. To be your wife is, for me, to be as happy as I can be on earth. Jane is telling this story from 10 years later. At this point, this at the 10-year mark, she's been married to um, Mr. Rochester. They have a son. Um, Adele is part of their lives. They're happy. Jane is happy. The end. Let's take a quick break. We're back. So, Kari. Yep. What's your final verdict? And would you recommend this book? My final verdict is this book is too long. This book is a little slow, especially in certain parts. And I loved it. I really enjoyed the book as a whole. Uh, The first half, I feel like could have been condensed and we could have been edified as to her life story through the back and forth, the dialogue she has with other characters. But instead, they wanted to 
Charlotte wanted to tell us about in every agonizing detail. Um, I think this was going to be a different book and then it changed into a romance and I was all with it when it started being a romance. I liked this story. It was fun to read. It was a little bit of escapism. Um, And I like at the end, it had a happy ending, which is so strange for the Brontes. (laughs) (laughs) So we caught them on a good day when they wrote Jane Eyre, when she wrote Jane Eyre. Um, Yeah. And I like when the story, when I like when she goes, reader, of course I married him and stuff like that. And she's talking to the reader as we read the book. So my final verdict is Jane Eyre is a great book. And I wish I would have started my relationship with the Bronte sisters with Jane Eyre. Because Mm -hmm. having read Valette and um, Wuthering Heights, those were not good books. <laughs> Wuthering Heights, I guess, is good, but it's sad to the point where it's funny. <laughs> it's like, is this book making fun of me? Why is this book so sad? <laughs> it's it's so sad that it takes you out of the story and you like, yeah. is this a joke? Is this for real? So um, I think Jane Eyre was a more balanced story. There's some sadness, but overall, it's a happy ending and it's happy in a way that isn't convenient. He's still partially blind. They're both still ugly and he still is a cripple, <laughs> but they love each other. And that's great. So, and they, she still has a relationship with the sisters and they go see each other um, every year. I just, yeah, I thought it was, it was nice. What about you? What was your final verdict? And would you, rec- I'd recommend Jane Eyre. Would you recommend it? And what's your final verdict? Um, so as I started reading this book, I was into like maybe the third chapter and I was like, Oh, I read this already. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes, I read it. Which is what prompted me to watch all the movies. I was so engrossed with Um, the book and I loved the story. Yeah. That I was like, I want to see what this looks like in movie format. And Mm -hmm. every time I was like, oh, I know this. Oh, I know it. As I read it, I'm like, oh, I know what happens. I know what happens. And I am picking it up as I go along. And I'm like, yeah, I read this whole book before. Now, yeah. I don't know what prompted me at that time. I still don't know the answer to that, but I do know that I've read this. So this is the second time I'm reading this book. Um, I also listened to the audio and the audio was great. I thought then we did an excellent job. Tandy. Tandy and what's her, Newton. What's her full name now? Tandwe. Tandwe. Okay. Yeah. Did an excellent job. I, at times I was unsure if, she was the sole reader of the book. So that was mm-hmm. really great. Um, I love the story. I think it is a, a beautiful romance story. I have been asking my friends for um, a uh, romance, a modest romance. And this, mm-hmm. some of the uh, words where he's talking to Jane and, and professing his love to her, I feel like those are so strong. And I just love how easy the writing is and you know how I always talk about um the or complain about the extra words I yeah. thought the extra words made the story even more beautiful I loved it from beginning to end yeah she had a way of writing that was still intriguing even though it was very flowery especially the dialogue but it's interesting it, ca- it, ca- it carried my attention also kept my attention so um yeah I agree with you yeah so, so we recommend book, Jane Eyre and I would recommend Jane Eyre definitely. Mm-hmm. I would have liked a little bit of um, more about the insane wife in the attic. I think this could have also been a romance with some thriller elements. And that could have been fun. That was thrilling. She was knifing people and biting them in the face. 
I would have liked she to was see a little more. creeping in rooms and ripping veils. You don't think that was thrilling? I mean, she could have left some dead animals in their beds. She could have tried to poison the little girl. I don't know. She could have been more evil, I guess. Um, oh. Also, the little girl was a superlative character. What was the point of her? Um, the she point was, of her was that Was he to bring Jane Eyre to the house. Bring Jane Eyre to the house and talk about his other romances the things that he Um, did since he um brought this wife into house and then he went out and he tried to um get involved with other people you know Mm -mm. so this gave us a little insight as to why he's so bitter yeah Mm -hmm. okay all right any other things that you felt like were glaring um shouldn't have been left should have been left out or do you think it was a real composite book with its story i know you said the beginning yeah Yeah. it felt like was too slow now we didn't talk about it but the cousin saint john wants to marry her and it's a marriage of convenience where he i don't even think he liked women um but (laughs) apparently he wants a helper go ahead He, he likes women he does like women he does but his um vocation in life is his ministry his ministry to god that's more important so he just needs like a support so you don't have to choose between liking women and being dedicated to God and serve. He don't and like he women in like my opinion. <laughs> and he wanted a secretary to like help him on his missionary journeys. And he's like, Jane, you ain't got nobody. You should marry me. Yeah. In fact, and I've heard this twisted reasoning from people. In fact, the fact that I am so pious and I want you to marry me is a sign that God wants you to marry me. And so this relationship would be good for you spiritually. Yes. And he really she, sold that. It's not like, to Jane he didn't she well, said huh I got my own rela- that. I loved it she was like yes. I got my own relationship with God that ain't got nothing to do with you so she's like I'm this, good this is not my vocation in life this is yours yeah. and the, so the thing about their relationship was Jane like really yielded he was like come and um, study Hindu and learn it mm-hmm. learn the language and she was like um, okay I guess sure I could do it and so he was like developing like not a love for Jane but he appreciated her eagerness to learn willingness to um, um take Adapt in information to him yes yeah. yes he appreciated that so he was like you ain't cute or nothing but you would make an excellent companion in my ministry because you like are obedient and whatnot and you could mm-hmm. do it so mm-hmm. let's do this marriage thing and Jane was like I want love in a marriage. I want passion in a marriage. And this ain't it. Mm -hmm. I'll go with you to India. But not as your wife. Not as your wife. I'll go as your cousin. As your cousin. He was like, that's not, that don't make sense, Jane. (laughs) Nita, I can't be traveling with you, a 20-year-old, and I'm like almost 30. (laughs) Yeah, we got to get married. Yeah, we have to get married. It just, Mm -hmm. it don't make sense. But she said, I could be your sister, your cousin. That's okay. He was like, nope, I don't want that life. Mm -hmm. You either marry me or don't come. And Jane was almost convinced to marry him, to say yes. And then she got whispered in the air. Yeah, a whisper (laughs) in the air, which was carried from the heart of Rochester. He was like, Jane, if you're still out there, please come find me. And then she was talking to her cousin one day and she was like, wait a second, you hear that? And the cousin was like, no. And she was like, I got to (laughs) go. She was like, leave me. Mm -hmm. I need to find out what that is. And she went to to go look for her man. 
Yeah. Is this is this your man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's gonna And I'm gonna stand behind. So is this a feminist book? Um, yeah, so it's been I think you were talking about it, right? That it's mm-hmm. considered a, a, a it could be considered that, but I, I think it's just a romance novel with a um woman that has values and principles. And I yeah, don't think there's nothing wrong with that. Values exactly. and principles do not equal feminist feminist. But maybe for the time it did. I mean, Jane is very independent. And um, yeah, she has her own mind in every aspect. She wants to be her own person financially, spiritually. She, you know, she's an individual. And that is so progressive, um, especially for some periods. So, yeah. which kind of makes me sad in a way. Like, <laughs> kind of <laughs> <That's laughs> garbage. Progress. Ah. Yeah. Right? I just That's love progress. when she said, I care for myself. I respect myself. Yeah. And if everyone was fine with me living with you, Mary, man, I wouldn't be fine with it. And mine is the point that matters. <laughs> mine is she, the opinion I got to live with. That's what she said. So, so yeah. So that's that was great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right. So what are we reading next week, Alexis? Deacon King Kong, a novel by James McBride. That's right. So thank you guys for listening and watching us. If you're checking us out on YouTube Um, for this week's episode, the second part of Jane Eyre next week, we'll get into Deacon King Kong. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you guys, too. If you've enjoyed what you heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And visit LitSocietyPodShop.com to shop our merch, like the sweatshirt I'm wearing. It's awesome. And the shirt that I'm wearing. I love it. Can you see it? You probably can't yes. see it. This is right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's fabulous. And until next time, y'all, read something. Read something.